0: Hello you guys, happy Wednesday, welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, I am your host of Killer Instinct, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'm just going to remind you guys real quick that if you have not already, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you are always notified when we post new episodes. We post every Wednesday here on Killer Instinct and you are not going to want to miss it. So whatever platform you are listening to this on, take a quick second and just hit that subscribe button real quick. As you guys can tell from the title of today's episode, we are talking about the unsolved disappearance of Kimberly Morrow. This case was highly, highly requested by you guys in my last couple cases that I've done. I've seen it in my podcast email, which again is killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. If you guys have any theories for this case, you can send them in there and we will discuss them next week. So with that being said, let's just jump right on in to the case today. Kimberly Moreau was born on January 21st of 1969. She was last seen wearing a white blouse as well as blue jeans, white high-top sneakers, as well as a man's class ring that was engraved with the words Mike 87 and Mike Staples. Kimberly is a Caucasian female. She has blonde hair and blue eyes, and a distinguishing feature about Kimberly is that she has a surgical scar on her back. She also has her right ear pierced three times and her left ear is pierced four times. So Kimberly lived in Maine. She actually lived in Jay, Maine, to be more specific, with her parents Richard and Pat. Unfortunately, her mother Pat ended up passing away two years after her disappearance from cancer. Kimberly was also the youngest of three daughters, so she had two older sisters. Kimberly loved writing poetry and she participated in gymnastics and cheerleading leading at her school. She attended Jay High School and she had dreams of becoming a model when she graduated and she has also been a contestant in beauty pageants. Kimberly went missing on May 10th, 1986. She went missing on the night of May 10th and in the early morning hours of May 11th. So the night of May 10th, Kimberly was actually supposed to go to her junior class prom. So it was prom night. She was in her junior year of high school. She was planning to go to this prom, but her and her boyfriend actually got into a pretty big argument that night. And her boyfriend's name is Mike Staples, which if you're wondering why she was wearing a class ring with the engravement of Mike, Mike 87. That is why. It's because Mike Staples was her boyfriend at the time. So her and Mike ended up getting into a pretty big argument which made her change her plans. So instead of going to the prom, she actually got together with a friend. Now this friend is named Rhonda Breton and Rhonda and Kimberly had plans to go and hang out with these two older men. Now these men were about 25 years old. So before heading out, it was about 11 o'clock at night on May 10th, and she ended up going back to her house. Kimberly did. She ended up going back to her home, and the only other person home at that time was one of her sisters. So Kimberly actually ended up telling her sister that she was going out, she was only going to be gone for about an hour, and then she would be coming right back home. Kimberly was last seen entering a late model white Pontiac trans AM with one of the 25-year-old men as well as Rhonda. What's bizarre about Kimberly's departure when she left her home is that she left with none of her belongings. She left her purse, she left her wallet, she left her keys, she didn't even bring a jacket, and it was very cold outside at this time period, so she was definitely planning on coming back. She didn't leave with any of her belongings that she would have needed if she was planning on staying out for a very long period of time or planning on not coming back to her house at all. So the 25-year-old man, one of the 25-year-old men that Kimberly was hanging out with that night is a man named Brian Enman. Now, Brian says that in the early morning hours of May 11th at about 3.45 a.m., he was driving with Kimberly and Rhonda And according to Brian, he said that he was driving with the two of them and they were about a half a mile away from Kimberly's home. And they were planning on driving Kimberly back to her home. But according to Brian, he said that Kimberly was visibly upset about the fight that she had gotten in with her boyfriend just several hours prior. So he said that when they were about a half a mile away from Kimberly's home, Kimberly demanded that Brian pull over so that way she could walk the rest of the way home. Brian said that he pulled over, let her out, and let her walk the rest of the way home and he just drove away. And that was the last time anyone has ever seen Kimberly. The next morning when Kimberly didn't come home, her parents immediately called a 911 to file a missing persons report. But what's so frustrating about this case is that the police treated this case as a runaway case for the first 4 months of Kimberly's disappearance. They treated it as a runaway case, and for the entirety of those four months, Kimberly's family knew that that was not the case with this, especially her father, Richard. He especially knew that Kimberly was afraid of the dark. She was not going to ask to get out to walk a half mile by herself home, considering the fact that not only was it dark outside, but it was 38 degrees outside, and Kimberly did not have a jacket. Richard just refuses to believe the fact that Kimberly would do something like that because it's so out of character for her but the fact that police treated this case as a runaway for the first four months really in hindsight pushes this case back because for those first four months there could have been so many things that happened to help try to find Kimberly and instead they had to delay and wait four months later and who knows what could have happened in that time frame if they had started their search and treated it as a missing persons case right away and after the first four months they did change the case from a runaway to a missing an endangered person but it just makes you think like what could have happened in those four months had they not treated it as a runaway case So Rhonda actually backs up and confirms Brian's story when he says that Kimberly asked to be let out of the car, said that she wanted to walk the rest of the way home, and that Brian just pulled over and let her get out and let her walk the rest of the way home and said that there was nothing more to it. What's also frustrating about this case is that we don't know what happened once Kimberly left her house at about 4 o'clock p.m. It is kind of, you know, a mystery as to where exactly they went. The four of them are suspected to have just kind of drove around all night into the town while drinking. There's also suspicions that they went to a teenage drinking party, like a house party, and drank there. There's just many different speculations and we're not exactly sure what exactly happened that night. I'm sure police do because they had to question and interrogate the people that were with Kimberly that night, but that information isn't released to the public yet. Richard does not believe Brian's story whatsoever. He doesn't believe that Kimberly, like I said, would want to walk half a mile in minutes. 38 degree weather when she doesn't have a jacket and is afraid of the dark. Richard actually believes that Kimberly was murdered within hours of leaving the house, and Brian is actually considered a person of interest in Kimberly's disappearance, but he has never been charged directly with anything involving her going missing. Richard has actually stayed in contact with Brian over the years in hopes that Brian will in one way, shape, or form come forward to Richard and tell him exactly what has happened, but unfortunately, that day has not come yet. In 2015, the police searched a five-acre property that belonged to Brian Edmond with hopes that maybe they could find some trace of Kimberly there or something that would show them where she was or if she was there at all. But unfortunately, their search efforts led to nothing. Richard has actually been extremely hands-on throughout this entire case and throughout the entirety of his daughter's disappearance. Richard actually has friends who were in the police department. So because of this, he's actually been able able to really direct the police in directions that he wants them to go, along with doing whatever the police think is also necessary. But Richard really has been navigating this case from day one and has been interviewing himself lots and lots of people. Police did use search and cadaver dogs and took them up and down Kimberly's street in hopes that maybe the dogs would pick up a scent or find something, but unfortunately, that search led to nothing as well. And they also did testing on Brian's car, considering he was the one that was driving the car that night, but those results haven't been released to the public yet either. Something to also note is that the day after Kimberly's disappearance, there was actually a concrete pad that was laid down onto a farm stand in Livermore, Maine. And once this happened, there was a lot of speculation and a lot of rumors floating around that Kimberly could have actually been placed at the farm stand. And then once the concrete was poured over her, it would have been a reason for why no one was able to find her yet. So there was a lot of rumor saying that that's actually where her body was located. And in the most recent past couple years, police have used the best technology in the game to try to rip up that slab, and they have done so successfully. However, they have not been able to find any evidence that would suggest that Kimberly was there. They were not able to find her body. None of her belongings were there. None of that. So I want to talk about a man named Calvin Tidswell. Now, Calvin Tidswell is a man who during the 1980s owned an arcade in the Livermore Falls, Maine, which was right next to the police station. That's where it was located and because he owned an arcade a lot of high schoolers and teenage kids would kind of make their way to the arcade it was kind of like their hangout spot that's where they would all go and because of that it really gave calvin an in on hanging out with the kids and the teenagers and they all became pretty close to calvin and everything that i have read about calvin in my research has been extremely negative people who went to high school with him described him as a bully who would physically you know beat people up and bully people And when parents would call Calvin's parents to complain, Calvin's parents just kind of said, oh yeah, that's just how he is. That's who he is. And people described it as his parents were actually afraid of him. People described him as being very manipulative and that for him it was all about the control factor. He just wanted to know that he had control over everyone. He would manipulate them in any way that he could, use any different head game and mind game to kind of twist it into having people trust him and believe in him when really it was just his way of feeling like he had control over people. And a lot of people do believe that he used this arcade. He got the arcade when he was like 45 years old, and a lot of people think that he used the arcade to lure kids in and be able to manipulate them. And there was actually a newspaper article released, I'll try to pop it up on the screen if you're watching me on my YouTube channel, that basically stated that Richard, as well as police, do believe that Calvin could have been involved in Kimberly's disappearance, that... Kimberly, as well as Rhonda, and Brian, and the other man they were with that night could have gone to the arcade and spent time there, which would have meant that Calvin would have been one of the last people to see Kimberly. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? All right, you guys, welcome back. Calvin has been in and out of jail for drug-related charges for selling drugs and using drugs, possession of drugs and things like that, but he has never been named by police as a person of interest or a suspect in Kimberly's disappearance. However, there are a lot of people who have their suspicions about Calvin and who believe that he could have possibly been one of the last people to see Kimberly the night she disappeared. Police believe that the last three people to see Kimberly that night were either Calvin Tidswell, Brian Edmond, or Mike Staples, her boyfriend. Rhonda, her girlfriend that she was with that night, kind of falls into the category of Brian because she was with Brian and Kimberly that night. But here we are over three decades later and there has been no real answers as to what happened to kimberly that night richard as well as kimberly's sister have come out and say that they don't believe that whatever happened to kimberly that night was premeditated they believe that whatever happened to kimberly was more so on the side of being an accident But even with that being said, they do want and deserve the answers as to what could have happened to her that night. And they know that there are people out there who know exactly what happened to Kimberly and they just want those answers for themselves. And as far as theories go on this one, I do wanna talk about one theory that I have not seen in doing my research. That is kind of one that I was just like waiting to read throughout all of this. And that is the theory that Mike Staples is involved in Kimberly's disappearance. Now, the reason I think Think that this could have possibly been what happened is because it makes sense. The motive makes sense. If her and her boyfriend got into an argument and instead of going to the prom, she went off with these older men and her friend and were, was drinking and doing all these things and then came back home later, let's say Mike was either waiting for her at her house and wanted to talk and instead got super angry and one thing led to another and he ended up lashing out on Kimberly. He could have also heard that Kimberly was out and hanging out with older men and drinking and engaging in behavior that he didn't approve of or if he saw Kimberly get dropped off by Brian and then that sparked a trigger for him. It could have been multiple things and I think that the motive there is more clear than the motive that could have been with either Calvin or Brian. When it comes to Brian, I think that I believe what Richard and Kimberly's sisters believe, which is that it was more so an accident if that's the route that we're taking, that Brian was the one who was responsible for this. It's very possible that Kimberly could have overdosed on something. You know, she was young and if she had gone out drinking with Brian or ended up at the arcade and someone slipped her something or she tried a drug that she isn't used to and didn't know how her body would react to it. She is younger and could have been hanging out with people who are more experienced when it comes to drugs and alcohol. So she could have been easily influenced by the people around her to try something she wouldn't normally try. And if her body had a bad reaction to it, that could definitely have happened and the people around her got nervous and didn't know what to do. So they decided to just dispose of her body. When I was doing my research, I was waiting for someone to talk more about Rhonda because I feel like Kimberly was with Rhonda the entire night or Rhonda probably knows way more than she's letting on. I I do feel like she's kind of the missing link in all of this. And I feel like she could probably fill in a lot of holes in this entire case because there are so many holes in this. There are so many missing pieces in this. And this is one of those cases where, you know, we usually say like, someone knows something but we know then someone that knows something in this case and that is rhonda rhonda knows what happened to kimberly that night rhonda knows if she went off with someone she wasn't supposed to go off with rhonda knows if she got slipped something or if she drank too much or if she slipped and hit her head on something Personally, I believe Rhonda is the missing piece in this, and I'm really hoping that she's able to come forward at some point and just be very honest about what happened. I think it's possible that someone could have scared Rhonda into not saying anything and not speaking out because she was younger, and if someone like Brian or Calvin or someone who we don't know the name of yet could have completely scared her into not saying something, and I definitely think that that's possible too. There's just so many unanswered questions with this. Like, where did Rhonda go after she left her house? Where did they go? Like, what was the step-by-step process of what happened throughout the night of May 10th and the early morning hours of May 11th? I feel like police must know that information and it just hasn't been released to the public yet. But as far as the public information that's available on this case, it is very limited because we just don't know what has happened. The latest information on this case that has been released is that Richard, Kimberly's father, has said that there is a dying man who has come out and spoken on Kimberly's case and have given them some sort of tip or lead or hint as to what could have happened to Kimberly that night. And they are trying to pursue and follow through with that tip, but they haven't released that tip to the public yet. We do not know what that is. But according to Richard, he says that they do believe that they are closer than ever to finding out what has happened to Kimberly. And even that alone makes me question at least, you know, what dying man is coming forward and saying that he has information on Kimberly's case or a tip on Kimberly's case, hopefully his tip follows through and he's able to help bring Kimberly's family some answers as to what could have happened. Richard has said countless times how much he just wants to know answers because when that happens, there's only three things he wants. He wants to bring Kimberly home, bury her next to her mother and her grandmother, as well as have a celebration of her life and finally be able to celebrate the fact that they have brought their daughter justice. I feel like this case is unlike any we've ever covered before, and I feel like that because of the lack of information that is out there, but on the contrast of that, it's like there is such a lack of information out there, but we know that there are people out there who have all of the answers to the missing pieces that we're sitting here and kind of like going over in our heads and in our brains of trying to fit everything together. We know there are people out there that know exactly what happened that night, and they just don't want to come forward and say it. So again, I really do encourage you guys, I'm just going to say it again. Again, I mention it a lot in these, um, in these episodes that we talk about, in these cases that we talk about, there are anonymous tip lines that you can call if you are worried for your life or your family's life or someone that you know, and you can give a tip as to what happened in a case or something that you know. Even if you don't think it's important, it could be very, very important and crucial into bringing someone's family justice. I am so interested to see what you guys have to say about this case. I really, really want to hear your theories. What do you think happened? Where do you think she went? There are so many unanswered questions in this case, and I think it's so important that we just keep spreading the word about Kimberly and about her story. That way, hopefully, we could get some answers for her family. So with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Make sure you email your theories into Killer Instinct Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is Killer Instinct Podcast at gmail.com, and we will go over all of of your theories next week in next week's case thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of killer instinct if you are new here again make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button we post new episodes every single wednesday here on killer instinct and you are not going to want to miss it so with that being said you guys i hope you enjoyed this case send in your theories when you can i'm so curious to hear what you guys have to say cannot wait to start reading your guys's theories on this one this one just blows my mind so i'm really interested to see your thoughts on it but i will be back next week with a brand new case